and now we're going back to chapter 10. Excellent. But here's the thing, one of the great lessons I think life teaches us, all of us know, is that practice and repetition are good. They're good. All of us, we, we, we know this when it comes to most things, right? The musicians, musicians are good because they practice their instruments. Athletes are good because they practice, they practice. In any activity in our life, we practice. We know that. The more you do it, the better you get at it. But interestingly, though, we don't always associate practice and repetition with our faith, right? It's interesting like that. So, I was thinking if it is the most important part of our life, and, and I think it is, our faith, then probably we should practice it, right? And so part of practice is repetition. So I really want to repeat looking at imitate me as I imitate Christ, what Paul said. This wasn't new. For Paul to say this wasn't new, it came directly from Christ himself who said, follow me on many occasions while he was incarnate with us. This is the gospel. The imitation of Christ is the gospel. It is what we are being saved to. Right? We always like to talk about we're saved from, and, and, and it's true we're saved from the consequences of our sins, but it doesn't end it. We're being saved to something. To something. And that something is the imitation of Christ. Because the imitation of Christ is authentic human being. It's, it's being the creatures we were created to be. So I thought this is a good time to revisit a general conversation about the practical application of this invitation to imitate Christ because we are in the season of Lent. We are in that season. Now, before you shut down on me and tune me out and start checking your Facebook pages or whatever you do on your phones while you say you're taking notes, Kim. Anyway, <laughs> kindly remember, kindly remember that the Lenten season is an opportunity each year to be purposeful about practice, about repetition. So, I just want to kindly ask all of us to put our prejudices aside. Don't leave Dave. See, Dave's already leaving because he has a strict prejudice against Lent. No, I'm just kidding. See you. It's not against Lent. It's against And so what I, what's right here in my notes, or those of you who are sick of me talking about Lent every time of this year, obviously Dave is. I'm sure last week when Mark got up, everyone was like, yes, it's the first Sunday of Lent, and Dave is not teaching, we don't have to listen. No, honest, this isn't the same sermon I give every year. But I, I want to share today why I think a purposeful observation of Lent is a highly valuable and practical tool God, that we can use to help us in our journey to imitate Christ. All right. See, Christ's entire life was predicated on an epic surrender of self. We cannot miss that as we study the life of Christ. An epic surrender of self. St. Paul explains it this way in his hymn to humility. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, any imitation of Christ is naturally going to have to start in this similar place. Paul says as much right here, right? Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. So any litmus test that we might personally have as to what a Christian is, 
whether it's looking like an evangelical American Christian or, or a reformed fundamentalist Christian or a more mainstream Christian or a highly moral person or a highly ethical person, whatever our litmus test is that that's what Christianity is, if it doesn't start here, it's not about Jesus Christ. It's not. This is where it has to start. This is where it has to start with this incredible humbling of ourselves, the surrender of ourselves. And, and why, why is it impossible to imitate Christ without starting here? Because to imitate Christ is to put others first. That's what this is completely about. Christ put others first. All of us. All of us he put first. Right? Or as St. Paul has been teaching us, and we've been looking at this for a couple years now, the imitation of Christ is seeking not our own good, but that of your name. We're big on self-preservation, right? But the imitation of Christ means the opposite of self-preservation. It's putting others' preservation ahead of our preservation. The imitation of Christ is to love others even if it means we lose our life in the process. And this is where Lent can help us. See, self-preservation is the arch enemy, if you will, of the imitation of Christ. And self-preservation is not something that goes away easily. I think all of us that are older and honest with ourselves know that. So only grace can destroy our propensity for self-preservation. Only grace. Remember, grace saves and grace transforms. Grace saves and grace transforms. So, Lent can help us practice surrender of self so we can be better positioned to receive this transforming grace we need if we're ever going to imitate Christ. Okay? So I want to make a side note. I just said safe. Grace saves and grace transforms. And I think that, that truth is borne out in any exhaustive study of the New Testament. Paul wrote an entire book to the Galatians on it. Most of Romans is about that. And we see this in all the words and actions of Jesus Christ himself. Even a few weeks ago, looking at St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, we saw St. Paul say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Okay? So grace saves and grace transforms. One of the things we tend to do, I think, with the gospel is... We tend to think of it as the doorway to our faith, and then once we enter in, we have to go deeper in. We have to move away from the gospel and get to the real stuff. But guess what? The gospel is the real stuff. It is. The gospel is the beginning, the middle, and the end of our faith. Instead of thinking of it as a door, and therefore only for the non-Christian, one of the best illustrations I've, I've read about the gospel, and, and this is from many different authors, so I, I don't know who to credit, it just seems to be out there as an illustration, is that the gospel is the hub of Christianity. You take the hub out of that, and you don't have a wheel. Okay? You have something round, you don't have a wheel. In order for the wheel to be a wheel, you need the hub. In order for Christianity to be Christianity, you need the gospel. We always need it. It starts with the gospel. It, we live the gospel at the end. So, how does it work? How does grace transform? How does grace help us imitate Christ? I'm, I'm not exactly sure. 
And I know that's a horrible answer for us humans who want the three-step process, right? We love the three-step process. Three-step process, being a better banjo player. I think there's a YouTube video that says that. <laughs> three-step process to being a better husband. Three-step process to being better at this. Three-step process to being better at that. We love that. So sorry, I don't have that. But let me explain what I do know. The imitation of Christ is not a call to become great impressions. We cannot muster the strength, the determination, the skills to be like Christ. Imitation of Christ is not a simple New Year's resolution. And I think sometimes, maybe Dave was alluding to that a little bit before worship this morning about, you know, we have this idea that if we just put on a happy face and, and pretend that our lives aren't messy, right? That, that's not, you, you, we don't muster the strength to be like Christ. Instead, it is a radical transformation of our lives by the grace of God. That's what the imitation of Christ is. So imitation of Christ, then, is really the invitation to discover the radical life-reordering power of God's grace. It's an attitude of surrender of our own self, our own rule, and allowing God and His love to be the new ruler of our lives. Okay? To be the new way of life. One of the songs we sing here at Cana says it, this way, I love this. I have surrendered to your design. Well, what's that design? The gospel. God is a God of mercy, grace, and unconditional love. There's the design. And even the writer of this song knows that. I love it. Right before he says this, the line in the song is, God of mercy, sweet love of mine, I have surrendered to your design. God of mercy, that's the design. That's the imitation of Christ. I love this song. Is this multiplied? Yeah. I think this is multiplied. Whenever we sing it, I love it. And it resonates so much with me when I sing, I have surrendered to your design. Not because I have, but because I want to. I want to more and more each day. Imitation of Christ, then, rather than being a transactional obedience in which we fall back into the law and try to observe it to make God love us, which will never work, by the way. Scripture is very clear. The law only brings death. The law can't bring anything but death. That's why I asked Dave to cover Borderland this morning. And if you followed along with those words, they were just simply amazing. You can't hold on to love and live in the law. And I think that's a lot of the disconnect that in, in, the, in, the, in the tension that Christianity sometimes causes in people's lives. We, we, we get told this beautiful gospel, and then all of a sudden we're made to live by the law again. That's not Christianity. The gospel is Christianity all the time. So, scriptures, so it is instead the imitation of Christ, I think, starts by remembering what Yancey said in paraphrasing Paul's writings in Romans and Galatians and paraphrasing Christ's life. Phil Yancey said, There is nothing we could do to make God love us more, and there is nothing we could do to make God love us less. That is such an amazing quote. Because that's what's so amazing about grace, which was the title of the book in which Yancey wrote this. This is the gospel. And it's so powerful. So, the imitation of Christ is receiving this unconditional and unbelievable love. Then we learn to know it to be real. And then we live it. Right? See, this is, I think, how the gospel works in its mysterious way. When we know we are loved by God unconditionally, when we really believe that, not just mentally assent to it, but really believe God loves us unconditionally, all the time, good or bad, we start to believe love is real. 
So then we want to live that. Right? The gospel says God is a forgiving God. So when we first acknowledge we need forgiveness, and then we believe we are forgiven, we receive that forgiveness, no, no matter what we've done, we're forgiven, then we start to believe in forgiveness is real, that's when we start to offer forgiveness. See, when you really believe something, it tends to determine a lot in your life. There are exceptions, no doubt. But here's a simple example. How many of you put your seatbelt on when you get in your car? Everybody, right? You do that because of one of two beliefs. You believe it will save your lives in an accident, or you believe if you don't have it on the cop seat, you'll get a ticket. All right? I'm the idiot. That's the latter. All right? I'm not convinced. But I'm an idiot. I, I, I've told my kids it will save their lives. For me, it's just I don't want to get a ticket. But either way, I'm functioning off a very firm belief. And because of that firm belief, it determines my actions. The gospel, the more we let it into our lives, will determine our actions, if we believe in it. If to believe in forgiveness, our forgiveness, is really hard then to withhold forgiveness from others if we believe in forgiveness. To really believe in unconditional love as it seeps into us, is then it's hard to withhold it, right? You believe the seatbelt works, that's why you put it on. If you were questioning it, you might not all the time. It's a simple illustration, but I, I think at some level it works. So the imitation of Christ then is allowing Christ to do what he does, make all things new. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are being transformed into the same image of Christ from glory to glory. So imitation of Christ begins with surrender of self. Surrender of self. That was a word Paul was using in his prayers a lot this morning. Here's the thing. Surrender self is the only thing we have control over at the end of the day. We like to think we're in control of a lot more, but, but we're not. But we have control over the surrender of self. The problem is self is not so easily surrendered. It's the final stronghold of all that is opposed to the beauty of the gospel. All that keeps us from living our faith is the preservation of self. Self is why Paul spoke of always battling between what he wants to do, live like Christ, and what he doesn't want to do, live selfishly unto himself. This is why Paul, I think, said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, because it's no easy thing to surrender self. It's not. And to allow the love of God to fill us, allow his grace to change us. But it can happen. It takes practice, lots of practice. And like with anything, I suggest it's best to start with baby steps. Because the epic surrender of self doesn't just happen. It takes time and practice surrender. And so this is where Lent comes in. This is where Lent comes in. For the most traditional way of observing Lent is giving something up. Fasting. Surrender. Fasting is a way of practicing the surrender of self so that we might find, receive God. That's all fasting. It is reaching out consistently beyond ourself. Okay? So noun rights. There are so many voices calling 
for our attention and so many activities distracting us that a serious effort is necessary if we are to become and remain sensitive to the divine presence in our lives. And that's the imitation of Christ, the divine Christ in us living his life out through our life. But there's so much that distracts us from that presence in our lives. And Bean writes, true surrender is the creation of certain types of intentionality that keep time and space open for God's healing, sustaining, and empowering presence and purpose in our lives. Surrender in the Christian life is purposeful practice of opening up to the approach of God. That's what it is. That's all. Purposeful practice. And this is why I think the season of Lent is and should be important to all Christians. And I know people say, but David, we should be doing this 365 days a week. Why do we have to do it in these 40 days? I understand that. We should be doing it 365 days a week. But if you're like me and human, you get distracted by your life. And you stop practicing surrender. But surrender is the only way that the grace of God is going to change our lives. And there's also something incredibly beautiful about joining countless millions of other Christians around the world that use this time on the Christian calendar to be purposeful about practicing surrender. It's beautiful to assert solidarity with Christians all over the world. So Lent is a formal time to practice surrender. That's all. And the Christian journey is ultimately one of surrender. Let's not fool ourselves. The Christian journey is, if it doesn't start with surrender, Philippians 2, right? have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, then, then maybe it's not the Christian journey. Mark reminded us so powerfully of Christ's own words last week to this effect. When Christ said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it will remain alone. Alone. And he goes on to say, those who seek to save their life in this life will lose it. So here, here's the, the frightening thing. The pursuit of the preservation of self actually accomplishes the exact opposite. And that's frightening. Because most of us spend all our life pursuing the preservation of self. You can do a little exercise for, for these 40 days of Lent. Every time you make a decision, have a little notebook with you. And what was the ultimate reason behind that decision? And try to be honest with yourself. It's about preservation of self. But we end up losing the very life we're trying to save when we focus on the preservation of our own life. But by willingly dying to self, we end up receiving real life. For that's where real life is. The cross is resurrection. It's beautiful. Lent reminds us of this and allows us to enter more deeply into this practice through purposeful moments of opening ourselves to the transforming presence of God. So, I know I do this every year, but it's important. I want to strongly encourage all of us to use Lent as a time to practice this beautiful understanding of surrender. <coughs> so that we all may move closer to the reality of the imitation of Christ that Scripture calls us to. I believe we should be purposeful in practicing surrender now because of what I just said. Being purposeful now during the Lenten season may help us in that endeavor all year through. Do not be fooled by the power of self-preservation. Please, don't be. I often hear people dismiss my observation of Lent. Oh, I don't need Lent. 
Okay, well, if you're living exactly like Jesus Christ, you don't need Lent. I've yet to meet that person. I mean, when someone like Mother Teresa can write a book about how she never felt she was surrendering herself enough. Come on, guys. The power of self-preservation, don't be fooled by it. The, the, the entire scripture story. Just read this. Some, some time when you have, have time, start in Genesis 1-1 and write right through the end of Revelation. And all it is is about people preserving themselves and God's grace trying to change that way of living. That's all it is. The entire book. You have, you have David, this, this beautiful young boy who completely doesn't care about his life and he runs out and takes on Goliath. Oh my gosh, what a beautiful, beautiful story of surrender of self and, and the power of being willing to die for others. Fast forward 30 years, that beautiful boy is now so into himself, he's stealing people's wives and killing their husbands. Do not be fooled by the power of self-preservation. It dominates our lives. If we don't practice it, and what happens when we don't practice it? Then we come up with reasons that we don't have to practice surrender. We write whole Christian books about why we shouldn't surrender and why it's all about me. Christian books by Christian authors, by Christians telling us why we shouldn't surrender and it's all about me and take care of ourselves. Yet the Lord we claim to follow says, no, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. And, and it's the power of self-preservation. Don't be fooled by it. Think about all the reasons we don't imitate Christ. The determination of self to survive is legendary. And when we spend so much time catering to our own selves every hour of every day, no wonder we can't surrender and let the Holy Ghost have full reign in our lives. No wonder. Lent allows us to practice surrendering in the little ways. Practice giving up small preservations of self. Practice opening ourselves up to the power of grace in our lives. Bean helps us understand this better. He says, God wants us to be truly available to Christ in his ongoing mission. It is only as a means to hear God's call more clearly that we give up this or let go of that. If we are going to be fully open to the imitation of Christ, we need, I think, to be practicing surrender in little ways. Choosing a fast during Lent is a perfect opportunity to be purposeful about practicing. But before we make any decisions on what that looks like, remember two keys. We do not surrender for surrender's sake, right? And we don't fast for fasting's sake. It's not the point. We do it so the absence of one thing makes us consciously aware of the approach of the other thing, the transformative presence of God. So I've told, many of you know, I have, I have a number of fasts during my Lenten experience, but I'll share so, so you can see how, that, how I make that work in my life. I give up alcohol for Lent. And many of you know I, I love wine and, and, and I love my beer. And... But I don't give it up just to give it up. So, for example, last night a, 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 a friend of ours took Jennifer and I out to dinner. <laughs> to a nice place. Where <laughs> Jennifer and I don't go unless someone takes us out to it. <laughs> and as soon as we sat down, we haven't seen each other in a long time. And he said, so, 
You pick the wine. What's just standing? <laughs> yeah, I'll pick it for you because I can't, you know. But the beauty of it is, is because for me, that's such a wonderful part of my life. In that moment, even in this nice restaurant with friends I haven't seen in a long time, I was consciously aware that I was giving that up so I could be aware of God's approach to me. And my need to allow Him to define my life, not my own desire. So that's what a practical fast looks like in reasons for a practical fast, a surrender of self. Fasting at its core has to do with that idea. It's a reminder that God is, God's approach is the most important thing in our lives. And all the other things in our lives that give us pleasure, even if they're wonderful, even if they're wonderful, if we're not careful, those things can usurp the approach of God. Those things can usurp the approach of God. That's why practice, I think, is important. Now, at a recent Mass for the Stations of the Cross, <coughs> this reflection on the purposeful practice of, of, of Lent was passed out. William Ward wrote it, and I, just, I, I know I'm going long today, but I think it's worth spending a little bit of a time with it, because what it does, I think, is it captures perfectly this idea that we surrender one thing so another thing comes. Okay? We don't surrender just to get rid of something. It's so another thing comes. Okay? So he wrote... Fast from judging others, feast on the Christ dwelling in them. I love that. Fast from judging others, feast on the Christ dwelling in them. If we all saw Christ in each other more, how do you think the world would look? Really, really hard to demonize Christ, isn't it? Imagine seeing him then in another person. Fast from emphasis on differences, feast on the unity of life. Fast from apparent darkness, feast on the reality of light. I love how he calls it apparent darkness. Darkness is not real. No matter how dark our lives get, it's not the final answer. Life is. Light is. So fast from apparent darkness, feast on the reality of light. Fast from thoughts of illness, feast on the healing power of God. I love that. How easy is it to get focused on illness? Especially in this world where it's happening to us, it's happening to our friends. You know, Dave, Dave didn't mention it, but, you know, his week started so rough because it started out of wait for, you know, a, a friend of ours. Illness is everywhere, and then the news wants you to believe that, you know, every day brings the next epi epidemic. And, and, you know, bubonic plague's right around the corner. And I know a lot of people that just focus on illness. So let's fast from those thoughts of illness and feast instead on the healing power of God. Because here's the thing, illness that even causes death, okay, it's not the end. Resurrection is the end. There's the ultimate healing of God. Fast from words that pollute, feast on phrases that purify. That's a good one to put on our computer screens before we go on Facebook and other people's blogs, isn't it? Fast from words that pollute, feast on phrases that purify. You know, I, I get trolls and, and I get the hatred of the internet, but nothing, nothing is so sad to me as when I am on a Christian website and the comments are hateful, hateful, 
as they defend the faith. I've got Bibles bent like shivs, was the song. Shivs, by the way, if you don't know, is a, is a, is a sword, you know, it's a, right? A long circular sword that comes up like that. I'm pretty sure that's what it's shivs. Makeshift knife? Oh, okay, great. Thanks for filling me in, because I always pictured that shift, because I've seen that in other... Anyway, doesn't matter. An instrument that kills. And people... Just go on a Christian website. Go on a blog. Christians just throwing knives at each other. Fast from words that feast on phrases. Fast from discontent, feast on gratitude. That's a good one for me. I, I spend so much time... I was talking to Ian this week about it. I spend so much time worrying about what I don't have. I, I like, I, I have so much, but I, instead I worry about what I don't have instead of what I do have. So fast from discontent, feast on gratitude. Fast from anger, feast on patience. Oh, that one speaks to me. And, and you know how we talk about the, the gospel? We, we were just talking, we need it all the time in our lives. So I, I've been a Christian, quote unquote, since I was six years old. I, I, I think I know the gospel. I still need it. I can be going down the highway, and if someone swerves into my lane, I'm pretty good at that point. But when I pull up to them and I look in, if it's because they're texting, <laughs> my hatred goes from zero to 60 in three, three seconds. And it is hatred. Full-blown, utter hatred, ready to kill them, especially if my kids and my wife are in the car with me. And afterwards, when I calm down, I think about it. Where did that come from? Where it came from was the places deep in me that have never let the gospel penetrate. The gospel that says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Fast from anger, feast on patience. Fast from worry, feast on divine order. Fast from complaining, feast on appreciation. Fast from negatives, feast on affirmatives. Fast from unrelenting pressures, feast on unceasing prayer. That's so huge. The world's filled with pressure. We're never going to get rid of pressure. It's all around us. Let's fast from that by feasting on unceasing prayer. Fast from hostility, feast on non-resistance. Another good one before we go online. Fast from bitterness, feast on forgiveness. Feast on forgiveness. And fast from self-concern, feast on compassion for others. And there it is. There it is. There's the invitation of Christ, right? Fast from self-concern, feast on concern for others. <clears throat> Let's covenant together, please, to use this Lenten season to open ever more purposefully to the presence of God in our lives. To, as C.S. Lewis wrote, <clears throat> give up our own lives so that we may receive nothing less than the living Christ in us. And that's the most important thing of all to remember. And I think maybe that's what prevents us sometimes from doing it. We do all of this to be made new, to be like Christ. We don't do it for the sake of surrendering. Because Lent, like surrender, does not end on Good Friday at the cross. It ends on Easter Sunday at Resurrection.